We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone, welcome into another BuzzBeat episode. Uh, Before we begin, uh, we do have some news to break to you all. Uh, We are now a member of the Blue Wire Network. We are very excited to be on board with Kevin Jones and his lineup of sports podcasts. Tons of great shows over there uh, that can be found on the network. It's growing. I believe they have 14 or so podcasts as of now uh, between baseball, football, uh, and also some great basketball pods with hosts I'm sure you've interacted with or follow on Twitter. Uh, we really can't overstate how excited and thrilled we are for this new opportunity uh, and kind of see where this goes uh, with this new team and this new network. Uh, make sure you definitely check out these podcasts. I'm already subscribed, Brian, to uh, several of these podcasts, uh, nice. mainly the NBA ones. Um, yeah. And I, I listened to the Light Years pod uh, this morning. So, But again... <laughs> doesn't change a whole lot for us. We're going to still be bringing the content that we normally do, the hardcore, deep analysis that's hard to find otherwhere on the Hornets. Um, there might be some minor changes here and there, like shorter pods, and maybe some of you guys might like that. And we hope to get on a more consistent schedule as well, especially when we hit 2019. So, yes, Brian? Just wanted to throw in there, too, uh, shout out to one of the Blue Wire Network pods, Burgundy Blogcast. Um, which no, seriously, which my, which my friend and one of our colleagues, Hayes Permar used to be a co-host of for, I believe the 2016 and 2017 seasons. But the reason why I'm shouting them out is because they actually got a shout out. Uh, we're recording this Thursday, December 6th. They got a shout out this morning on the Dan Levitard show, which is my favorite sports radio show on ESPN, uh, for being the ones to break the, uh, the Alex Smith news. Crazy. So crazy. Yeah. So anyways, hats off to them. That was, that was, you know, I, I don't want to say cool to see because it's tragic for Alex Smith, but still need to see uh, Burgundy Block getting the shout on national radio for that. Do you think the uh, Eagles will come back and win that division? I have no clue. Just take the NFC East and shoot it into outer space. Like I, I don't want any part of that division. I guess so. I guess so. I, I don't know. I hate to see it because I want someone new, but I feel like the Redskins, if they, if obviously if they had stayed healthy with Alex Smith, I think they would have won it. I mean, I think Just, I think their season could be kind of going downhill from here. Just not the I guess just not the Cowboys, but I'll but I'll but I'll be honest with you, man. Like the amount of NFL I've watched outside of the Panthers this year is like 
pretty slim, especially yeah. once basketball started up too. Yeah, and that's not really the NFL anyway. So um, right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but first off, before we get in, Brian, how are you guys uh, up there preparing for uh, Snowmageddon? You know, yeah, you know, I've I've got to rush to the grocery store as soon as we finish this <laughs> podcast. Up, I've got to get my essentials. You know, bread, milk, whatever beers left over there. Um, you know, whatever other non-perishables they have, but you know, thanks a lot, winter weather. I had a beach trip planned out with some friends, to the Outer Banks this weekend, and that has unfortunately crashed through the floor because everybody's worried about driving back in bad weather. So, thanks a lot for nothing. So, anyways, I'm doing all right. How about you and the family down in Charlotte? Doing good, doing good. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how much we're expecting down here. I, like I told you prior, it varies. Uh, clearly the uh, the Durham area is going to get a whole lot more. And I've never understood why you go out for milk and uh, bread. I never understood why those two things were like synonymous with like bad yeah, weather. Yeah. I don't know. The, the Also, like the North Carolina, like, I mean, hats off to all the people that actually like, you know, help prepare for these storms and stuff like that. Right. But like the North Carolina, you know, you know, emergency prep system is a lot like the Hornets in clutch time, man. Just like. Just doesn't really have the infrastructure, the people in place to actually like handle snow correctly. So it feels like we're either underprepared or we way over over prepare, and then the actual like winter weather doesn't hit like it was perhaps uh, forecasted to. So, anyways, yeah, um, yeah. Everyone who's listening to this, stay safe, be careful. You know, no driving on the roads or whatever if it's bad. And uh, yeah, stay inside and just listen to this podcast and watch the NBA instead. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're going to jump into episode 81, uh, which is crazy to think about. Um, since we last did an episode, uh, the Hornets have had a pretty rough stretch, uh, losing to the Jazz uh, last Saturday night. Uh, Spencer and I were in attendance. I about fell asleep. It was so boring. Uh, we could not uh, put the ball in the basket. Lost 119 to 111. Uh, the Pelicans, uh, we lost to them on Monday, 119-109. And then we lost to Minnesota Wednesday night. Uh, so we're going to be recapping the Pelicans' loss earlier in the week and then the loss last night, uh, Wednesday night, to the Timberwolves. We're not going to go as far back as the Jazz. So just to kind of give you a quick rundown of the box score, uh, the game that we're going to get into was Monday night, uh, lost to the Pelicans, where they had a big second quarter outscoring the Hornets 36-26, to uh, propelling them to a win. The Hornets struggled to get things going on the offensive end and only shot 28% from deep and scored just 1.06 points per possession, which would be a bottom five number in the league. Also, we got some pretty random contributions. Uh, you know, if we were to look at the top players for the Hornets, I felt like it was Tony Parker, Frank mm-hmm. Kaminsky, uh, Hernan Gomez, just random contributions uh, for the Hornets. Clearly, the ones that were supposed to perform did not. And it was another night in which Kimba has struggled, and I know we're going to talk about him on this episode uh, in his recent games where he has struggled to score, struggled to shoot from all over the court, and it feels like his success, Brian, drives the team's success. So I guess we'll kind of get into this in terms of like this game. We're not going to spend too much time on this game and kind of mm-hmm. transfer it over to Minnesota. Some of these things overlap, uh, but one glaring thing which was completely different this game versus the Minnesota game was Batum. Uh, mm-hmm. non-factor in this game. Uh, you would watch the game and you would almost feel like he wasn't out on the court. Mm-hmm. One one for six from the field. Uh, the Hornets were minus 20 with him on the court. Really just a non-factor in offense. Really no real role. They kept him in the corner a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only had 24 touches and only played 14 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Batum 
uh, just his play overall uh, this season, but maybe just why why is it sometimes that he just disappears from games? Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of cuts both ways, right? Which is, you know, Nick's sort of general disposition on the court is, I don't want, I'm, I'm going to use the word passive and it's going to come across, I think in this discussion as being derogatory. And I, I don't necessarily want to, like, Nick's game is he's a connector. He, he helps get the ball from one side of the floor to the other. He's the guy that's looking for cutters coming across the baseline or on slice cuts or whatever. Um, that's his game. And yeah, I think it's on him to sort of, you know, try to get involved in the offense more, not make it just fastball down the middle of the plate every time with Kemba Walker trying to go pick and roll and, you know, take on the universe. But it's also like I think the and I think we we saw it in the Minnesota game. This certainly it seemed like Charlotte, and I think even James Borrego either right after or right before the New Orleans game said, "Hey, I need to you know I need we need to do a better job as a staff getting getting yeah. Batum involved." Um, but yeah, against this game against the Pelicans, I mean, you know, he was again twenty four touches, sixteen passes, he only played thirteen minutes. Yeah, just under fourteen minutes in this game. Oh three from deep. Uh, only one assist, you know, and the Pelicans don't even – he started the game on Drew Holiday, which I thought was a strange matchup too. Like, Drew Holiday is a badass. I mean, that's three Kawhi Leonard, in, in my opinion. And uh, I thought I, it was just yeah. bizarre to have him have him on Drew to start the game. I went back and just watched the tip-off, and he was just – he just happened to be next to Drew. Okay, and, and all right. I, I guess that's kind of how it happened. Uh, but yeah. later on, clearly, either they realized, okay, he shouldn't be guarding Drew, or this yeah. just happened to be a proximity thing. So, I, I, yeah, yeah, don't, he should not ever be guarding someone like that. But uh, but a couple other things on Batum this season. Um, 15% usage rate, non-garbage time minutes. That's the third lowest of his career. Lowest is coming to Charlotte. 17% turnover rate. That's almost a career high. It was just over 17% in 13-14. 5.5 assists per 100 possessions. That's his worst since the 2011-2012 season. Um, 53% effective shooting. That's pretty good. But a lot of that is on catch and shoots. He's 35% on catch and shoot threes this year. Um, here's just some other stuff to sort of consider with him too. Um, only 24% of his field goal attempts are at the rim. That's actually the highest since he got to Charlotte, but it's still – uh, pretty low, and he's shooting just 58% on those looks, which is a career low. And then again, this as well too, which is this is the thing, which is that even though Nick is a guy that can play with the ball, and he can come, he can curl around a pin down, he can look mm-hmm. for Cody on the roll, or he can look for you know someone weak side cutting to the hoop. You know, he's he's good at that. He can really thread the needle too. But you know, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't go on the bounce to score necessarily. Um, 71% of his field goal attempts this season have been, or pardon me, 71% of his field goals this season have been assisted on. That's the highest rate since he got to Charlotte. 52% of his mid-range field goals have been assisted on. That's high. And 77% of his field goals at the rim, so in the restricted area, have been assisted on, which is really, really high, especially for, you know, uh, a wing. So, you know, he's just really, and only 29% three-point shooting from above the break. Like his saving grace has been these catch-and-shoot shots from the corner, um, but that's kind of an issue too, because he's, you know, Nick shouldn't be just standing in the corner waiting for the ball right. to get swung to him. So look, the offense is tough and you know, he's not going to make it up for it on the defensive end. Even if he's, even if he is locked in and trying, he's just, he's just sort of a like not great defender. <laughs> and when he's struggling with these closeouts and he's not using his feet properly, 
And yeah, like it, it becomes, it becomes, um, you know, it's a bit of an issue right now in Charlotte, although he did play better against Minnesota. Yes. And, and we'll get into that, uh, soon, but the difference between Minnesota and, and New Orleans kind of overlap in these games. And you kind of just brought up those numbers about all these field goals that he's been assisted on. You would think that with Nick Batum being this connector that he needs to have the ball in his hands a little bit more often. Yeah. He may not be able to like, you know, create, you know, a sh- great shot for himself at the basket or the mid range or wherever. But it seems mm-hmm. like that was the biggest difference between the game on Monday and the game on Wednesday night was the fact that Batum didn't bring the ball up the court that often. Batum didn't touch the ball all that often. And because of that, he's just not really a primary option uh, within the offense. He needs to have the ball in his hands. And it's funny, mm-hmm. you said he was like a, you say a career high at the at the rim, like, or like percentage-wise? Or what did you say something about uh, uh, 20, 24% of his field goal attempts have been at the rim this season. That's not like a good number, but that's the highest since he got to Charlotte. Gotcha, gotcha. But, um, but... 77% of his makes at the rim have been assisted on. Yeah, That's see, a really high ratio. See, I've noticed a lot of times he either's in the corner and kind of drifts to the short corner yeah. and someone drives and they kind of dump it off to him for yep. for that little exactly. easy, easy lay-in. Yeah. So um, exactly. not really how you picture Batum, but clearly that's how he's getting his offense this year. And, and I just wanted to throw this out there too as well with Batum. 31 clutch minutes for him this season. And this is where like the lack of usage really is apparent. Only three field goal attempts and 31 clutch minutes for him. Zero free throw attempts. Charlotte scoring uh, well under one point per possession with uh, Nick in the game during clutch minutes. And if you drop that down, if you go to the last two minutes of the game this season, score within five points. Nick Batum, 13 minutes, only one field goal attempt, zero free throw attempts, about 0.8 points per possession with him on the court in those 13 minutes. Small sample. But again, like, I guess, you know, it's one of those things where some people can have the other side of the argument where, hey, in those minutes, in clutch minutes especially, but throughout the rest of the game too, like it, it's got to be on uh, your great point guard to sort of like facilitate, not be the one that always wants to take the game over. Um, I, look, I could be wrong. I don't know the the overall disposition of one Kemba Walker. I've watched him play a lot of basketball I don't know him personally. He seems like a pretty hardworking, you know, blue collar team first guy. Um, but I feel like he, I feel like he's a guy that would love to have someone step up and sort of help him carry the load. And we've seen it. We've seen his, his outpouring of, of gratitude when Tony Parker won him a game against <laughs> Milwaukee. The other, I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was out of breath and just hugging him after the game. So, um, you know, look, that's something that none of us are, you know, our psychologists, we can't psychoanalyze, you know, what Kemba wants to do or what Nick does or doesn't want to do. But you can look at the numbers and say, man, it doesn't seem like Nick is really asserting himself here. And again, I, I think part of it falls on all, like it's on the coaching staff, it's on Nick, yes. it's on the guy that has the ball most in Kemba to sort of find more ways to get this guy involved because like this isn't a thing that's going away, right? Like Nick Batum is signed with that <laughs> player option through 2021. And um, although I got to say too, like I'm getting to a point now where we've seen in the last year them take deals like last like year and a half, we've seen them take deals like the Plumlee contract and the Dwight Howard contract. And we've seen them flip those. So they, they took on less short-term money, but more long-term money. And I'm just like a little worried. That's what's going to end up happening with Batum. Like, and they're still just going to end up kicking the can. I, I don't know what deal that would be and you know, whether it would happen this year or anytime in the next like 24 months or whatever, 
But I'm starting to get like a little, like a little uneasy, uneasy about that because he's basically been like outcasted in terms of like how he's being involved in the offense. And yet you still owe him all of this money. So I I think that's just something to keep an eye on. Um, And not to just keep like just, just bogarting the microphone here. But one more thing I do want to throw in about this Pelicans game, no Cody Zeller. I thought that was apparent, right? You know, it's just harder for this team to get North South um, offensively without his screens, both on ball with Kemba, both off the ball when they want to do, when they want to run Chicago action with Kemba or Malik or Malik or yeah, Kemba or, or Batum or Malik Monk, just you, it's harder for them to get going to the basket and I'm not really, I'm not totally surprised that only 34% of their field goal attempts in this game came at the rim. If you don't have Cody, like it's just, it, it's, it, this team struggles to get to the rim to begin with. But if you don't have that guy who is your most consistent finisher at the rim and also the way that you kind of use him to get everyone else going to the rim, it's a huge loss. Plus the injury to Marvin Williams too, only played 10 and a half minutes in this game. And now he's going to be out for a little while longer. Yeah. I thought those were two other big things to take note of. I mean, no Cody, that 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 matters, you know? Yeah, and I think the the obvious person that it affects uh, the most is, is Kimball Walker. And Kimball Walker has been struggling, struggled in this game. And, you know, I don't think it, you can just point to, okay, you know, Cody Zeller was absent, so Kimba played bad. This, this is something that's been happening over the past five, six, seven games. Yeah. And I, I think his success, like, is all predicated on how he does from behind the arc. And it seems like the past five, six games, he has not been shooting the ball too well from behind the arc. Because he if, he, cause if, he, if he's feeling it from behind the arc, then he has the opportunity to get to the rim because people close out hard on him. Um, it just, just seems like these past several games, he's just not making an impact. Um, he was 0 of 6 from deep in this game. And clearly, what I'm saying too, he's clearly getting frustrated with the lack of calls. Uh, mm-hmm. At the rim, yeah. and I, I've yep. talked about this kind of like off air. Like I, I don't like it as much. Like that's the one thing about Kimba that I don't really like. Just him kind of complaining with the refs a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I disagree with him. Like I feel like there are some fouls that kind of you know get let go and they just don't blow mm-hmm. the whistle. But uh, there are times where I feel like he is just looking for the call and is expecting the call. Yeah, and that that just carries over to all parts of his game. So he's getting frustrated from not shooting the ball well. He's getting frustrated from not getting the calls, and his free throw percentage is also going down, which is crazy to me because that's that's something that you know there's no defender. That's that's yeah. that's a place where you can get your rhythm back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say the past five six games, it's like seventy percent or something like that. I, I'd have to look it up, but it's it's definitely sub seventy. And I- go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I love his fearlessness. I love his desire to be like, man, we need someone to get into the teeth of the defense. Yeah. We need someone to get going to the rim. But some of those times, I mean, like, I kind of agree with you because some of those times he goes in there and it's like, you know, it's one of those things where if it's not a full switch, but it's sort of one of those things where it's like a half switch and the big guys dropped and the, the other guards locking and trailing. But he's still going at like a 6'10", 7-foot guy. And it's like, Man, the the odds of you of this working out, like I hate to say it, like you know, you're you're not. It's not that you're not like the finisher that Kyrie Irving is, which I mean he isn't. But like (laughs) part of that part of that is simply is like a size thing. Yeah, he ain't. You know what I mean? He is not six one. And I mean, like I mean, Kyrie doesn't go in there looking for fouls, anyways. But like you know, he's trying to do his thing and you know be an artist and stuff like that. But like you know, he's not. 
he's not Westbrook. He, he's not he's not James Harden. Like, and he goes in there on some of these drives, like like he like it's like he's like a bolt, like he thinks he's a bowling ball going in there. It's just like every time these things get blocked, it just feels so predictable. It's like, yeah. what did you actually think was going to happen there? Like, I think he deserves more calls. I think like actually think. I mean, I'm perhaps I, I'm a little biased. I, maybe it's just part of it is I, I watch him more than anyone else. But like, I've actually felt like the last three seasons, I was like, this guy should get considering how many how much he has the ball, how much he shoots, how many times he goes to the rim. It feels like he should get even more free throws. But at this rate, like he's not even making them, so it's like tough. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I feel I can. But you even just watching the game on TV, you can you can sense the frustration yep. with with a lot of stuff and. Um, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but yeah, I, I can I can also understand his frustration too because um, the season's going a little sideways right now, and um, you know I'm sure he feels a lot of responsibility to sort of like get it back on track, and you know it'd be nice if there were a little more plus level talent around him to sort of like help lift up the ship. Yeah, and especially in this game, I looked it up, uh, the starters got outscored like 80 to 40. So, like, when, yeah. when he's out there on the court, uh, especially in this game, Nick Batum yeah. uh, was that non-factor that we were talking about. Um, yeah. And so when he struggles, Kimba, that is, he needs the others to kind of step up around yeah. him. And, you know, I, kind of last little point about Kimba struggling in, in terms of kind of finishing around the rim. I do think he has some crafty finishes at time inside hand layups, totally. um, shields totally. off the bigger guy. Mm-hmm. But there are times where it's almost like he just lowers his shoulder and expects that call. But the funny thing yeah. is, in, in this game, he had probably one of his best finishes of the season, where he kind of broke down Miritich, <laughs> and then he had this crazy mm-hmm. like up and under flip that somehow Nasty. banked in. I'm like, oh my god! Nasty. Like he did, he did that. So um, yeah. anything else to talk about? I know that Frank Kaminsky's uh, play has been. Uh, pretty hot as of late, and that can kind of transfer over to the Minnesota game. Yeah. But, but anything uh, pertinent to this game? Just uh, one last thing I wanted to add to, like Anthony Davis. Holy crap, that guy is so good. I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing performance from him in this game. Uh, Thirty-six points, nineteen rebounds, eight assists, two steals, two blocks, fourteen of nineteen from the field. He was three, two of three on three pointers. He was eight of ten at the rim, six of six from the free throw line. I mean, 36 points on 19 field goal attempts, plus 14. And the Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis pick and roll, and the Drew Holiday, Nikola Meritich pick and roll, pick and pop. I mean, they were just destroying Frank Kaminsky and Kemba Walker in the second half of that action, just coming right at them. And just you can't switch, you know, on the AD with Kemba. And so when there was that gap of guys needing to rotate, recover, or whatever, I mean, they every time they had a little bit of advantage, those guys were seizing it. Um one last note I did want to say, too. We got some very brief minutes in this game with Miles Bridges at the four and Michael K. Gilchrist at the five, too, um, which I thought was notable that they were able to they were willing to go to that without Marvin. I imagine something we'll see occasionally between now and when Marvin comes back. Uh, didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> minus seven and zero of three shooting. Uh, but now it's 11 minutes now this season with MKG as the de facto five bridges as the four Charlotte has broken even all I want to say is I just sort of like, like the thought experiment. I just sort of, I just sort of like the thought I like, I like the fact that they're willing to try this look out and I'd like to see a little bit more of it as the season goes along too. And, and you know, JB's not afraid to, you know, experiment uh, way more often than Clifford would have done. And mm-hmm. yeah, but like you said, AD is a beast. He almost has that Giannis effect where he starts get going. Everyone else kind of drops off their their players. 
not that the Pelicans are the greatest from behind the arc, but like, yeah. you know, you got to be wary of that, uh, you know, kick game that he has. He had like eight or nine assists this game, which is just crazy. So eight assists, eight, eight assists. assists. Man. He's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the last two games, the, the, the Hornets have had to go against two, just two of those like extraterrestrials yep. and Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns, just like these two guys that are just, as soon as they step on the court, just a matchup, destroy, like they just, they always will have an advantage. They will all, cause they can do everything. They can shoot from everywhere. They can play make. They and I mean, Cat played both ends of the court in that game too. And I mean, Anthony Davis is like arguably the best defensive player in basketball. Um, you can make a case he's the MVP right now too, if you wanted to. Um, but those guys, especially without Zeller, you know, in this game, you're just like, I'm not like he's you know the 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 Anthony Davis stopper, but like <laughs> you're probably missing your best option against him, you know. And, uh, I mean, he's going to have a field day against anybody. But I think that, again, I think Zeller was missed on both ends of the court in this one. All right, let's transition to Wednesday's loss to Minnesota, 121-104. This was on Wednesday night. Uh, The Hornets battled Minnesota for three quarters, uh, but hope was lost in the fourth quarter (laughs) as Carl Anthony Towns and the Timberwolves outscored the Hornets 35-18 in the fourth quarter. Uh, I would have to look it up, but Carl Anthony Towns killed in the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't know yes. the exact stats, yeah. but he killed. Um, I got you. But uh, Charlotte was led by Batum. You know, tale, tale of two Batums here. Great Wednesday night, not so good uh, mm-hmm. against the Pelicans. Uh, he had 18 points, 8 assists. Uh, and then Jeremy Lamb also had 18 points. Uh, not too efficient from the field, but also grabbed a ton of rebounds. And again, like I said, Kaminsky had another solid game off the bench. Uh, I'm really liking uh, his play as of late. I told you last episode I can't knock his game, uh, but I think it's probably time to start giving him credit. Just enjoy the run. Enjoy the run by Kaminsky. Mm-hmm. That's how it's always been with Hornets fans. You know, he's going to have his ups, his downs. Let's enjoy his ups for uh, the time being. Uh, just some notes mm-hmm. before we get into this game. Uh, like you said, Marvin got injured in the last game, a shoulder injury. He should be out about a week, I've heard. Um, mm-hmm. So MKG yeah. got the start over Marvin instead of Miles over Marvin. Uh, I kind of preferred that uh, just to see MKG back in the starting lineup. And then Cody Zeller was back after missing the Pelican game with a rib injury. So, uh, again, the first talking point has to be the same talking point that we started about uh, with last game. It was Batum. Um, way mm-hmm. more engaged. This is the Batum that we expected uh, when he signed this contract. This is the Batum that we expected uh, when he has these down games against the Pelicans. And more frequently, they've happened this year where it just seems like he's you know disengaged. Uh, but mm-hmm. clearly, coming off the game from the Pelicans, it seems like JB and Batum wanted him to get more involved, more aggressive. Uh, he got some early touches. I saw even early in the game, he brought the ball up the court. It was interesting in the preseason, and this is kind of why I made this, like, not outlandish prediction, but, like, I thought he would have more assists because I thought he would have the ball in his hands a whole lot more. I thought in preseason, I mean, this is a different discussion for a different day. I thought preseason Hornets look a little bit different than regular season Hornets, and just in terms of the style of play, in terms of pushing the pace a little bit more. I know that we're up there in pace, but not as high as I thought we would be, and I thought that Batum handled the ball a whole lot more in preseason. But anyway... Early touches, 57 touches in this game. His average is 43, so clearly that was a point of emphasis. He even confirmed that at halftime uh, with a po- uh, halftime interview, saying that there were some conversations being had between the two of mm-hmm. them. Um, the My favorite play, uh, and you noted this too, it was to open the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kimba gives it to Cody out top. 
Kemba, again, loves to sell that underneath basket cut. Cody then works the DHO with Batum, who curls to the middle of the court. So while this is happening, Cody is cutting towards the basket. Kemba sets this back screen for Cody. He actually takes out both Teague and uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and Zeller is wide open. But to me, the most impressive part of this play, Brian, was Nick Batum's pass. Like, this mm-hmm. is what we like to see out of this guy. He made this pass prior to even Zeller kind of clearing, uh, like, behind those those players over there. Like, he kind of yeah. curved it around uh, his own defender, and it timed it perfectly uh, for Zeller uh, on that back end. So, again, not only was he aggressive with the ball in his hands, shooting the ball, but also distributing. So, Also, on this play, too, just, like, shout-out to Carl Anthony Towns. I know I, I know, I was just praising his defense, but I just rewatched this play. My man just absolutely dies on this screen from Kemba Walker. It's like it's it's like it's it's like an all pro left tackle has come out to block him. You know what I mean? Like he just the way he is just huge body gets hung up on Kemba is is almost is almost comedy. Um, so great screen by Kemba, but uh, he but, had to he had to not expect it. Like that's that's probably prob- why. Yeah. Probably probably. And look, Cat was on his game defensively in uh, in this one. I thought he was. Thought he and Teague did a solid job of pick and roll coverage. He was a monster at the rim. Six blocks in this game, including a couple just enormous ones in uh, in the first half. Um, but yeah, this was a uh, this was an interesting uh, an interesting game uh, for the Hornets who were in it up until you know they they kind of no longer were. Um, there was one. There were a few things I wanted to get into here, but I've sort of lost my train of thought. Let me scroll down here. Um, yeah, in the fourth quarter, Cat was awesome. Five of six shooting, uh, 13 points, four rebounds, uh, plus 22 in those minutes. So, yeah, when they took over, he yeah. was he was huge, obviously. Um, you know, it was good to have Cody back, but he was – I mean, like, that dude, anywhere he goes on the court, it's a green light. You know, he's it's almost – it's like – it's like kind of Durant or Nowitzki or Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, it's like it's like those it's those seven footers that have the unblockable shot that can hit from everywhere. You know, and his face up game was great. He's hitting threes, but that mid range face up game is is outstanding. And when he gets involved in the pick and roll, I mean, man, like because he can do everything. He can pick and pop. It can be to close out like off that. He can roll all the way to the rim. He can dunk on anyone. Like he's fast. And he can shoot from everywhere, and he's huge. Like he is just a tremendous offensive player. Um, and it's been it's been fun to to honestly to watch him hoop since they since they moved Jimmy Butler. It really has. Um, the one other thing I would say with uh, a couple things on on Nick Batum in this game: twenty one percent usage rate, thirty two percent assist rate. Those are both good numbers for him. No turnovers in this game. Wow. Uh, he finished up with. 17 field goal attempts. I would need to double check, but I bet that's a season high. Uh, 18 points, so not super efficient shooting the ball. Only one free throw, uh, but seven rebounds, eight assists, one steal. Charlotte minus 17 with him on the court. I'm guessing most of that was in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, played 37 minutes. Like I bet, I bet for Nick, this was one of in terms of games that re- ended in regulation. I'd be, I would, I would again. I would need to verify this, but I would bet. That's like the um, the highest minutes and the high in terms of like field goal attempts. I don't know about usage rate. I don't think it was tops for him in usage, but he didn't get to the line a ton. It certainly helps to get matched up with Andrew Wiggins plenty. And I, I know Wiggins had a Wiggins had like a pretty good shooting game, especially from I mean, he hit three threes and he was hot from the mid range. He had a, a nasty putback dunk too. This was oh a, yeah, this was a good game for Wiggins. But like 
There were also a couple of these drives Batum had where he scored on, where he just went right around uh, Andy. So um, that matchup certainly worked to the favor of the Hornets. Yeah, and speaking of matchups, and this was kind of uh, to go along with the Jimmy Butler trade, uh, Robert Covington, and I think this is something that you know we've talked about. It's a theme. They're going to put these bigger players on Kemba, and a lot of yeah. times uh, we saw Covington on Kemba. And again, this doesn't help the fact that Kemba is already slumping. His numbers are down. Now you're having to go up against one of uh, the best perimeter defenders out there. Uh, he's very lanky. He's going to bother Kemba. Uh, Kemba did get, I believe, 15 or so points in this game, but uh, it wasn't easy. He didn't score the ball too uh, easily no. and one of five from deep. So again, like I said, I feel like his success not only drives this team, but also it's tied to his three-point shooting. There's not a lot of games, I feel like, that Kemba struggles from the three-point line and then he has a good game, and, and the, the Hornets win. I feel like he's yeah. got to be successful from deep because that opens up a lot of things. There's been like one or two of them this year, and only because he's been just dead like lights out from the mid-range. mid-range you know what yeah. I mean? But in like, look, I, I, I'm going to bring this up here too. Um, this is this is Kemba's struggles. Do you want to hear how, how, how tough it's been for him the last eight games here? I got a few numbers <laughs> for you. Last eight games, 19 points per game. Uh, 37.5% shooting, 25.5% shooting on threes, uh, 46% shooting at the rim, uh, 24% three-point shooting from above the break on 45 attempts, which is a lot, Um, 51 field goals in those eight games, 39 of which were unassisted. So he's having to do, again, all this is all, I mean, a lot of this is him heavy lifting here, you know? Um, In those games, the last eight games, Kemba Walker, Six of 35 on pull-up three-point attempts, 17%. Um, only 14 catch-and-shoot threes in eight games. That's less than that's less than two attempts on off-the-catch from deep per game in that stretch. Um, it's only 10% of his field goal attempts over the last eight games. Like, that's not enough. He is this team's best catch-and-shoot player. And they've got to be able to create a little more volume for him. Um, so either six, either uh, the ball's not moving enough, or when he's getting the ball, he's dribbling it too often, or a combination of both. Yeah, exactly. And uh, a couple other things here: six of twenty-four on three-point attempts after three or more dribbles, um, and only nine percent of his field goal attempts in that in this eight-game window have been wide-open three-pointers. So, like, they're just they're just those like the off-the-ball looks that they try to create for him, where they run him off floppy action or that little flare screen. Um, you know, I feel like the foul line extended area, like they're just not really getting it the last couple of games. Um, also in that stretch, this is kind of, this is like, this is why this team has lost <laughs> th- uh, three games in a row and uh, three of the last eight, last eight games, minus 20 with Kemba on the court, last four games, minus 40 with Kemba on the court. That's the worst on the team. Um, again, I mean, like, look, that's, uh, we all know with plus minus a lot of noise in there. You know, you're, you're missing out on a lot of context, but like this team, it, it doesn't matter. Like it, it, context is sort of irrelevant when it comes to this guy it being a minus player because he's, he just cannot, like, he's sort of been like impervious to that the last couple of years. And this team has basically has no chance, even though Tony Parker's done a decent job running the second unit this year, they basically have no chance if like 
the Hornets are just getting waxed when he's on the court, you know? Like, they just got no shot. Yeah, I mean, plus minus is not the best stat, but it also coincides with his slump. So it's it's not nothing. You yeah, know what I mean, exactly. so it's not nothing. Totally, um, totally. I mean, what do you attribute it to? Is it just frustration with the team? Frustration with the lack of getting calls and like also like free throw shooting? Have you noticed anything with like his shot? Like I, I haven't. I mean, I haven't. Sat, I haven't either. I haven't, I haven't sat either. down. And I saw some people on. I saw some people online. You know, obviously your mind's gonna. For some people, it's gonna race like Ozzy oh, hurt. You know, whatever. And wow, oh, mine, mine didn't go there. He, I mean, like I, I not, I mean, I don't think mine. Did. I can't remember. It's one of those like I don't remember if I saw someone else tweet this and then I went there. Or if I was, it was like subconsciously sort of hanging there, and then that became actualized when I saw someone else thinking it. Whatever. I mean, the team hasn't announced anything, you know. So if, if that's the case, if he's playing, he's playing big minutes. The team has said nothing. Then that's what I'm working from, and I assume that he's healthy. You know, more so than. Anyone that's playing, you know, if you're at the quarter point of the NBA season, like everyone's going to be a little, a little dinged up and stuff like that. Um, and he has gone down a few times this year too. But I, but um, I think a lot of it has to do with his frustration with not getting calls, yeah. um, with the team losing, and a guy that cares so much about winning. And um, you know, when the three pointer's not falling, he's not being able to, and he's shooting very poorly from deep and very poorly at the rim. The mid range has really been the one constant for him this season. And, um, yeah, I just, I think he's putting, I mean, again, I, I'm trying, I'm like armchair psychologist here, but like, I just think he's putting a lot of pressure on himself, you know, like I, and I think he, I think he feels, you know, I think he better than anyone can sort of sense when things are slipping away. And for a passionate guy, for a guy who loves playing basketball and loves winning basketball games, like it's got to be driving him a little crazy, you know, because I don't think it's like, oh, crap, my numbers aren't good. I think for him, it's like, no, I want to win games, yeah. you know, he's always about and that. He's always about that. And again, I, I'm going to hark back to the the Milwaukee game from the other week. But like Tony Parker closed that game out for them, you know, and who was the happiest guy in the gym after it? You know, it's Kemba hugging Tony Parker. Because uh, he literally had emptied the bucket and had nothing left. So, um, and again, too, teams are putting their best defender on him. You know, a guy like Robert Covington. It's the third time he's matched up with Covington this season. Although T <laughs> T T guarded him plenty last night too. Um, but teams are putting a lot of pressure on him. They're rolling a lot of coverages to him. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just tough if you're the smallest person out there and five giants are like hell bent on stopping you. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, you feel for him because yeah. it's, uh, it, it's, he was having such a marvelous season and you just hope that this is like a small blip as opposed to, you know, can he get back to 90% of where he was the first, you know, month of the season yeah. or whatever. That's the thing. I feel like because his start was so freaking strong, like this slump, I mean, not to downplay it, it's, it's still bad, but like it feels worse yeah. because he started so freaking strong and. And the team success again rides on his success. And when he can't get it done, he gets frustrated because no one else is really stepping up in his place. I mean, Batum yeah. stepped up in a way that we've never seen him step up before last night, uh, but he did not produce a win. So uh, let's transition to something uh, else in this game. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I know the the backup center rotation is an interesting thing to have. I mean, I would like to talk about that. Yeah, by I mean, the, way. The, the, the I mean. The injuries have definitely played a role in how these things have shifted around. Frank Kaminsky yeah. has been the biggest one in terms of taking advantage of that, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, when Willie, I think, first went down. Um, and then you just have some matchup issues where you, you throw in Biz Biombo every so often for defensive purposes. Uh, but it seems like Hernan Gomez, who 
Kroger was even talking about on one episode, challenging for the starting position. He is now, he received uh, garbage minutes last night. He came in uh, yeah. with Devontae Graham and, 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 you know, Bacon and, and stuff like that. So it just seems like it's so up and down. Now, I will give credit to Borrego because I feel like he plays the hot hand. Uh, mm-hmm. But it also feels like, okay, Hernan Gomez would be perfect for this system. Um, I'm not really sure what his issue is in terms of uh, not, you know, not seeing minutes. I don't know if it's something yeah. at practice um, because yeah. I'm not seeing enough on the court to kind of know one way or the other. Or, yeah. is it, or is it just Frank Kaminsky just kind of, you know, taking over? Yeah. So a couple things here. Um, I agree with you. It's Borrego is, and we've talked about this before, like he is certainly a guy that's willing to play the, the hot hand, the hot lineup, whatever. There's just one exception, though, Richie, and <laughs> that is one. Biz, well, that is one Bismack Biombo because, um, guys, like it's over. Okay, enough. Like we cannot. It, the Hornets cannot continue to do this. They can't. Um, I'm gonna throw out some numbers for you here. Bismack Biombo has played 77 minutes this season. The Hornets are minus 44 in those 77 minutes. It's easily the worst on the team by like by like at least 30 points. That's that's Kemba's slump numbers right there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, they are they have a minus 25 net rating. They score under 87 points per 100 possessions with him on the court. They with him on the court this season, an effective shooting rate of 44 percent. And it's not like he's improving the defense. Uh, they defend and rebound worse with him on the court. No way. Yes. And the Hornets allow 112 points for 100 possessions with Bismack on the court this season. And like, dude, you can see it against Minnesota. We're like, basically, first off, <laughs> Bismack's first possession, he checks in last night against Minnesota. It was amazing. It was, I almost texted you and you and uh, you and Spencer this when it happened, like, he got a turnover without touching the ball in his first offensive position. He got a three seconds called on him, three second violation. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, man. Like, how is that, how is that even possible? Um, and there were just multiple possessions with him against Minnesota. And this is every time he plays. In part because, like, he can't catch. And if he did catch the ball, what the hell would he do with it? But um, there were so many times against Minnesota last night where, like, he'd set a down screen – and you know, Tony Parker would curl off of it, or he'd set a ball screen for Kemba. And Minnesota had just – they weren't even pretending to guard this guy. You know what I mean? It's like its like when a team's guarding a non-shooter on the perimeter, and they basically just put that, that fifth defender in, at free safety in the middle of the lane. You know? Um, they were just throwing two guys. to as They were just double-teaming the guy coming off the screen with or without the ball immediately. And, it's a, and it's, it's a little bit riskier to do that with a big guy versus a perimeter guy where you can kind of come back in time. So, you, totally. you know, yeah, totally. And so it's just like in all of a sudden now that was the primary action you're running through. And now you've already used up X amount of seconds of the shot clock. Now, all of a sudden the possession, which with biz off with biz out there is already is already less efficient than a normal possession. But now it's later in the shot clock. So now the possession is empirically less efficient than it would have been <laughs> at the start of the possession. And then just you are stacking the chips against yourself in a way that is like borderline irresponsible. Um, and like, you know, they, they tried him against Embiid a couple times this season. And if you want to throw out the like, oh, you know, he's more physical. He'll bang with Embiid. Like, you know what? I'll, I'll hear you out on that. I don't subscribe to it. Like, I, it's not it's whatever. But like, I'll hear you out on it. But last night, like, 
he's either guarding Gorgie Jang or Towns. Who's going to smoke any fool that's covering him? Like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And there's there's plenty of data that says you can go back and look at defensive RPM from Orlando last season. That Bismack is not a good individual defender. And his teams get worse defensively when he steps on the court. Um, and I know it's tough right now because, you know, Cody's just coming back from an injury. You know, they've played Marvin at the center for about 200 minutes this season. And that, those lines have been very good. And now he's hurt. And so I get that you're having to sort of like, you're having sort of shuffle chairs around. and But like, it's one thing if you need Biz to spot you a few minutes before a half or something like that. I mean, he only, play, he only played four minutes last night, but in those four yeah, minutes... Yeah, this, this is a lot of talk about Biz for four minutes here, bro. In, in, in the four minutes, they're minus seven. Like, you just... <laughs> as soon as he comes on, the team gets actively worse. And for a team that's already playing on a on a on what feels like a tight margin, although the, their, their point differential is still pretty good this year, it just... it. It, you're just complicating things in a way that I, I'm just willing to live with whatever the issues with Aaron and Gomez are, yeah. whatever that is, because like I get it. You're shorthanded without Marvin and he's been big for you playing minutes at the five. But like, honestly, man, like biz should be even with Marvin out, biz should basically be the fifth or sixth option at center. Like it should be Zeller. It should be Aaron and Gomez, Kaminsky, like mild, like, MKG at the five and then Bismack Biombo like break glass in case of emergency. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think Biz is going to play a big role, but he shouldn't be receiving more minutes than uh, than Willie. So I just feel like you know, th- I just looked at it. I didn't realize he played more minutes than Ernan Gomez uh, yeah. in, in last night's game. So uh, why? Yeah, who knows? Like who knows? why? Cause, <laughs> could like could literally anyone explain that to me other than like oh, it's just like it, you know, like it was just randomness, just a random rotation pattern. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, I guess I don't know. I know you wanted to talk about Miles Bridges, but we can talk about that real quick. Just last three or four minutes of this episode, uh, talking about uh, a tweet that Spencer sent out, uh, I don't know, maybe several days ago, talking about the Hornets' interest with the Wizards uh, on Bradley Beal. It's funny, you know, Washington's right there with us. I think they're like separated by half a game now. So really these trade talks kind of become a little bit more and more um irrelevant i guess in, in the sense that maybe wizards yep. might overtake us or whatever whatever but anyway um he says per source washington asked for both miles and malik monk to be included in the trade but he has no knowledge of what the charlotte's response is yes or no i feel like i know where you're going with this if they yeah. asked you to include monk and bridges for a trade that brought back bradley beal you would say I would say no. And look, I, as I said on the last episode, I love Bradley Beal. Um, and I know this year has not gone great for Malik Monk, but the uh, the Miles Bridge, the inclusion of Miles Bridges for me is a deal breaker. Look, I don't look, I don't know if Miles Bridges is like has like superstar ascension written on him, but he has, a, I think, a floor of this guy's a rotation player for a long, a starter for a long time, and he still jumps off the screen enough that I think there is some big upside. He's just 20 years old, year one of a rookie contract. Malik Monk, year two of a rookie contract. He's 20 years old. Like Those are assets to have as opposed to bringing on another huge salary in, in Beal. You know, I don't think I'd hang up immediately. I'd have to think about it. But, yeah, I think I'd come back pretty quickly, relatively quickly, just saying, no, no thanks. We passed. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. No thanks on that. Uh, I would include Monk. I would not include Miles. 
Uh, like you said, he kind of has that it factor. He has that excitingness to him, but also he's going to be that solid rotation player. Uh, we mm-hmm. saw that pass that he made out to the corner to Kaminsky uh, against the Timberwolves. That's something, awesome. that you, something that you don't see out of a rookie, something that you don't see out of a guy that you you know just think of with dunks. Um, you know That was a great pass uh, for anyone, really, uh, regardless if you're a rookie or not. Anything else you want to talk about this episode? I know we're kind of crunched for time here, Brian. Yeah, just just want to throw in real quickly on uh, on Frank Kaminsky. Uh, last four games, 20.5 minutes per game, Charlotte, plus eight with him on the court, 9.3 points per game, 1.5 assists. He's a horrendous defensive rebounder, as Minnesota exploited, only 2.8 defensive rebounds per game. Um, but 33% on threes, uh, 31% above the break, 6 of 10, shooting inside of five feet. Defense, not so bad with him on the court. 101.7 points per 100 possessions in his 82 minutes over the last four games with Frank Kaminsky. Of course, MKG is factored in big into that. 33 minutes with MKG and Kaminsky on the court. 85 points per 100 possessions allowed. 49 minutes with Frank Kaminsky on the court. No MKG. 110 points per 100 possessions allowed. So that's a bit of a difference maker. But as we said last week, the transition for him was always to move to the five full time. Although he did get some minutes at the four, he did. Um, and by the way, they went horribly. Uh, the small sample, but it did not go well with him at the power forward against Minnesota. But the long term play for him was always going to be the five, and this was always the move. And I think he's shown enough the last two weeks. Now I said this last week to you as well, Richie. Like. I think this guy's going to get a shot in the NBA next season. I don't think it'll be in Charlotte, somewhere else. And I think he sort of like earned that the last couple of the last two, three weeks because not only has he played passably and because he has a skill set as a seven foot shooter, that sort of makes sense. But like, because he could have given up on the season, like I, I, you know, we got to give this guy props. Like we, we, we bag on him, you know, a fair amount on this podcast (laughs) and like, you got to give credit to his look. I know he's, He's paid. He's an employee. He's supposed to show up and do his job, blah, 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 blah. But, like, it would have been so easy to just throw on the towel. I think I probably would have if I were him, you know, and he hasn't. And I give that to credit to him and the coaching staff and the team around him. And, yeah, like, I think he's earned a spot in the NBA somewhere else next season. I really do. So, um, again, he's, he's, he's flawed. He's always going to be a bad rebounder. He's always going to be a bad defender. He's never going to be the shooter you quite want him to be. But, um, yeah, I think he's shown some some good – some good, uh, some good, some good minutes the last yep. couple of weeks here. Yeah, he's definitely provided a spark and uh, definitely good context on those defensive numbers. I've seen that he's competed a whole lot more this season on the defensive end, uh, but kind of like Nick Batum, sometimes, however hard you compete, you might not be the best defender just because of your physical makeup. So yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, yeah, it is interesting to see too, like his success. You know, necessarily is not coming from deep, but also just like at the basket. Like he was six for yeah. six. Uh, inside 14 feet against the Pelicans on Monday. So uh, we'll wrap this episode up. This was episode 81. The Hornets are going to be playing uh, the Nuggets tonight. Uh, That's Friday night, probably when you're listening to this. Uh, They also take on the New York Knicks Sunday uh, in New York. So those are the next two games for the Hornets. Uh, Denver's definitely going to be a tough game, uh, but New York Knicks, uh, definitely a winnable one there. So Hornets, I believe, are sitting at 11-13. and 13. Uh, This was episode 81. Be sure to check out us on Blue Wire and all the other Blue Wire uh, podcasts. Uh, for Brian, I am Richie. Go Hornets.